4 o'clock football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The 4 o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Cofield and Company rolling along from down here at the NBA Vegas Summer League. On the concourse outside section 115-114, Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez, Steve Cofield back tomorrow. So I know if a lot of you out there miss him, as I've heard on Twitter. Doing my best to fill his shoes. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow, though, and Willie is doing a great job stepping in for me. I think you're doing just fine. I oh, know, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Okay. My segues are brilliant. That's fair. Uh, I think of the lightheartedness, the hosting, the, you know, the recognizing people. I mean... Thanks, I needed that. You've that's, had a couple people walk up and, hey, Adam, I'm a fan. That's true. And, you know, I love being around people, very close contact during a pandemic. It's very, very cool for me. I like Absolutely. that. Uh, lots going on down here at the Summer League that we'll get into, uh, including UNLV's athletic director, Desiree Reed-Francois, moving on to Missouri and more on the Raiders, especially their first preseason depth chart being released, which is causing an all-out panic up on Twitter, which is insane. We'll get into that as we continue, but it is time to continue our countdown of NFL teams heading into the season, our preview each and every day uh, of a different team. Today it's the Carolina Panthers with Chris McClain from WFNZ. You can follow him up on Twitter, at MacWFNZ. And uh, Chris, first of all, I want to ask how you're doing, but I saw you tweeting about the Hornets Summer League team, so you're into this event. Oh, dear God. I mean, yeah, I guess I'm into it. This is the ugliest basketball, y'all, that I have seen since the we were the Bobcats and we won seven games in a season, for God's sake. It's, it's ugly, man. I'm trying to watch the new Hornets draft picks, but they're not giving me much to get excited about. It's, it's early. It's very early. You've got to relax. <laughs> it's oh, man, I'd much rather talk Panther football with y'all, though. Let me there tell you, you that go. right now. We can do that for sure. And, uh, <laughs> thanks, for, thanks for jumping on with us. Well, I mean, let's get started. I think the beginning of the conversation has to be at quarterback with Sam Darnold. Uh, now that we've seen him for a couple of weeks here in, in training camp and we're getting closer to the season, what's the level of optimism about Sam Darnold? I, I, I will say this. I, I was, you know, I've been pretty skeptical about him because the results in, in New York. I feel like it's definitely, he's definitely in a better spot. I mean, he's, you know, got, he's got that jet stench off of him. He's got some weapons to work with in McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, and others. And um, I feel like he will up his level of play. The question is, how much does he up his level? Is he a guy that the Panthers feel like they can build around? I think that's still to be determined. I will say this. I think, his, I think the first week of practice was up and down. But I think since then, he, he started to pick it up a little bit. He's getting the ball out quick getting into the hands of these weapons, not holding on to it too long, which I think is probably a good, good idea because there are some question marks on this offensive line. I think I'm getting a little more optimistic, but I still I don't know how big of a jump he can make. I mean, we're talking about a guy who very well, honestly, might have been the worst starter in the National Football League, right, over the first three years of his career. I just don't know how big of a jump he's going to make. I mean, are we talking about a guy that can jump into the top ten of quarterbacks? I don't know about that. But I think if he can be solid, cut down on the turnovers a little bit, let his weapons do the work for him, I mean, I think he's got a chance to be, you know, to be solid. And I think maybe that's what, what I'm kind of hoping for at this point. Uh, they have the luxury now. Not, they don't have to make a decision. They can, they can watch him, see how he plays, see if they can resurrect him. I still actually believe in Sam Darnold. I think 
he was just in a really, really bad situation, particularly with the coaching staff uh, and the offensive line up in New York. Uh, but you know, they still have that opportunity. Watch him and see how he is before they decide. But do they see him as a potential long-term answer, or is he just holding the job until they figure out what to do long-term? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, David Tepper, the owner of the Panthers, definitely has not been shy of talking about, you know, wanting that quarterback. If you don't have a quarterback that can take you to the Super Bowl, then you need to keep looking. And, you know, it's, it's, there have been, you know, there's been numerous reports about his interest in Deshaun Watson, and obviously now that's been, you know, something I think has been put to the side for obvious reasons. I, I, I know they picked up his fifth-year option, you know, $18.8 million, so they're going to be on the hook for that. I, I still think it's possible, you know, that they – try to make a move in the draft or, you know, go after a veteran because David Tepper does have that glimmer in his eye for a big-time QB. But, I mean, I think with the defense, I think the Panthers have a young defense that was coming on at the end of the year last year. I think they made a bunch of big pickups in free agency. I think with a defense and weapons like McCaffrey and the receivers, I mean, I think Sam Darnold's got a chance to make a leap, win three or four more games than last year. You know, maybe be a eight or nine win football team, and at least make them think about you know giving it another shot for that second year of his contract. But but as of right now, I don't think they know. And the way they have described it is, you know, um, uh, why not take a chance on someone of Sam's talent? But I don't think they're complete. You know, they're not married to him yet. I think he's got that burden of proof. And heck, they're not shy about getting rid of a guy after a year. Teddy Bridgewater signed a much bigger deal than Darnold is currently on, and they bounced him out of here after one year, and then they paid Denver $10 million of his salary for this year just for, that, for the Broncos to take him. Chris, I know it's been a couple of years removed, but, you know, but as far as the identity of this team, is, is it still somewhat out there and, and they're, they're still trying to reconfigure that since the departure of cam and i know that you know you got mccaffrey's healthy a couple of thousand yard wide receivers there's a battle at the left tackle spot you mentioned it's a very young team overall the secondary somewhat looking to be improved but in terms of the identity is it is that one of the biggest struggles in coming into this season is sort of just sort of reformulating that uh and and still maybe playing in the shadows of cam um you know a couple years removed no, it's a great point. It's a great point. They're still trying to find that. I mean, um, I, I think I think it is ultimately in the next couple of years going to develop into an identity with a young, fast defense that flies around. Guys like Brian Burns, Jeremy Chin, um, I, you know, I think are young guys that are kind of going to become that are be, being stars in the making right now. And they might not be the biggest national names, but I think they're about ready to hit that radar. Derek Brown's another one as well. And I think that might become part of their identity. But there's no doubt they're still searching for it. You know, Christian McCaffrey's probably the face of the franchise. But I think in terms of an overall team identity, listen, it was so strong when Rivera and Cam and Luke were here. I mean, it was Cam Newton. It was a quarterback that had never been used that way before, right, as almost a power running back. And uh, his personality and then a defense with Luke Keekley and company that was like that. And they are definitely searching for that identity. I think the defense could be a big part of it. I really do. Sure. And uh, that's Chris McLean at Mac WFNZ uh, up on Twitter. You can follow him. Uh, get all his thoughts on everything from the Panthers to the struggles of the Hornets summer league team, which which I love, and breaking news on the slip and slide competition, which a uh, great joke on that too. Uh, follow him up on Twitter for those things. Uh, but I, I think you you mentioned McCaffrey there, 
how confident are they that he's healthy and do they change how they use him knowing that like at some point you can't just give a guy the ball every time and throw it to him every time yeah i also think there's a concern too about overworking him definitely yeah. you know you want the balance on the offense and i think i think the receivers that they have also love the terrace marshall draft pick at lsu this is a dude that was just money in the red zone money on those uh you know uh fades and, and then those jump balls I think he's going to be a big asset. Dan Arnold's a guy, too, that I think is going to help them be able to spread it around to where they don't have to be so McCaffrey-reliant. He's a tight end that had the best year of his career in Arizona last year. And he and Sam Darnold, the Darnold-to-Arnold connection, as we were calling it, has been something that has been eye-opening in camp as well. Um, so I do think they have some other weapons in a passing game. They drafted Chuba Hubbard out of Oklahoma State uh, in the mid-rounds of the draft. And I think, the, the, I think their hope is ultimately to build him into a guy that can take some of the the um, carries away from McCaffrey because I do think they're worried about wear and tear. I mean, literally, and, and how many times have we seen this? Literally, right after he got his big contract is when the injuries start happening. He'd been completely injury-free, hadn't missed a game, didn't miss games at Stanford either, and then the first season after that big-money contract, he misses, with his sort of group of injuries, he misses 13 games. So I do think there's a concern about, hey, we got, you know, we've got to get the ball in his hands. But we also need to protect him so that for the length of this contract, we get our money's worth. So I do think that's something to watch. Chris, yesterday we uh, we had a chance to watch the Raiders in person, and there was somewhat of a scary moment. And I think you had a similar situation, but I think the intent might have been different out there than it was here um, in terms of Trayvon Mullen stepped up and they didn't even have pads on other than just helmets and shorts and, and hit Zay Jones, but it was him that dropped. And last week, you had wide receiver Keith Kirkwood hitting the neck during practice, and uh, Coach Rule said that that's just unacceptable, and he was kicked out of practice, I believe kicked off the team. Um, quite a statement, though, to step up and say, you know, that we're not going to stand for that, especially last year when, you know, due to the pandemic and there was, a, there was some chemistry issues that, that rules, you know, couldn't bring that team together. Has he sort of gotten a grasp and gotten the trust of these players in his second season with statements like that, that you know, in, in terms of that he's got their back after after an incident like that, that had to have been kind of scary. Yeah, no, that one was interesting. Uh, and the wide receiver that ended up it was is J T eBay, who was you know just kind of an unknown rookie DB, you know, undrafted rookie DB, who hit Keith Kirkwood, veteran wide receiver, and Kirkwood was down for twelve minutes, and they had to bring out you know one of those pads, carry him off, and. Uh, people are fearing the worst, neck injury. It ended up being a concussion, you know, which is serious, but nowhere near what we thought it would be. And, yeah, you're right. eBay got kicked out of practice immediately. And then, I mean, it must have been 20 minutes after practice he was cut from the team. I, I have to be honest. I think clearly we understand. First of all, they had, uh, they had some guys taking guys to the ground the practice before, and Rule went off on it. So I think Rule was kind of agitated that here we go again. We're still being overly aggressive and, and in training camp. I also think it was a case of it's an undrafted rookie. I think he felt like I can make an example out of this guy for better or worse. Because I'm pretty sure if Jeremy Chin did that, I'm pretty sure. I don't even think he'd be kicked out of practice. It's kind of like how it probably works at y'all station, where the diva in Cofield probably gets away with everything, and you guys probably don't. You know what I mean? I think it was, I think it was one of those message senders. But there's no doubt he's been frustrated early in practice. With so, you're such a young team. I think guys have been a little over aggressive in practice early on. Yeah, thank you, for, thank you guys for shipping him out of Carolina so quickly. By the way, and sending him back here. That was, that was a wonderful gift uh, from the people of Charlotte. 
we talked about Matt Rule just now, but um, just where, where is he in terms of his development as an NFL head coach? And uh, I love him. I think the guy's going to be very successful. But obviously we've only seen one season. It was a pandemic season, kind of a weird scenario. Uh, where is he right now, and, and how good can he be? Man, I think he really did a good, solid job. He, he did. And I, and, I, and I have high expectations for him because I love the way he built programs at Temple and Baylor. They're not places where he was able to rely on having more talent than others. I feel like a lot of times college coaches have struggled in the NFL, be, you know, like Nick Saban, for example. Man, you can't get all the five stars, you know what I mean, in the NFL. You can't get all the all-pros on one roster. And I think that's a shock to the system of some college coaches. But for Rule, I mean, he was competing with Oklahoma and Texas and doing it with, you know, three-star recruits. Very little four-stars and no five-stars. I think that's a big factor. I think he's a culture builder as well, and I'm looking forward to that. I think the first season was solid. You know, you, you guys mentioned it. It was a new coaching staff. A lot of guys came from college, a lot of young players. And Matt Rule did not meet most of his players until literally training camp. Did not even see them because the offseason up to that was all virtual. So it was really, they were put at a disadvantage. They still came out of the gate three and two. They obviously had some struggles after that. But they were in 13 games that they either won or were one-score games. They lost eight stinking one-score games. They could not make plays at the end of the game. I think Teddy Bridgewater was a part of that as well. Um, and hopefully Darnold will be better in the end game situations. But I'm encouraged by it. There's some negativity with Panther fans that believe, oh, he's a college coach. And you know, they'll take shots at him for that. But I think he's off to a good start. But ultimately, you guys know it, man. The key is going to be that quarterback position. You know, how good do they get at that position? And does Matt Rule get that guy? That could be his dude. That's going to ultimately, I think, decide how good he can be. But I've been impressed by the culture he's built pretty quickly. All right. Last thing before we get you out of here. You know this is Vegas. Seven and a half. It's a season win total for the Carolina Panthers. An extra game this year, 17 games. But can they get to eight wins? Oh, I'm definitely over, fellas. But I'm the wrong guy to ask this question to. I have been in Charlotte. I think this is like my 17th football season. I believe I've gone over 17 times now. So I might be the wrong guy to ask. But honestly, I think it's an eight or nine win team. I do. They won five games last year. I just mentioned to y'all how many close losses they had. They were two and eight one score games. If they turn that around, even break even at 500 plus the extra game, they're winning three or four more. I think the defense is going to be improved. McCaffrey was only healthy for three games last year and they were still in all those games. I think it's a definite over, but you might want to ask somebody for a second opinion. It isn't a Panthers (laughs) homer, you know? (laughs) <laughs> Chris, listen, we're going to get you out of here just in time. A minute left at halftime. But, hey, 31-27 Sacramento over your Charlotte Hornets. So uh, they're, they're going to make a – the horn just sounded for the team to return. So they're going to make a push for you in the second half. Let's do this, baby. Let's get some offense. Maybe they could, maybe we could top 50 by the time the game's over. There you go. <laughs> Let you enjoy the game. Chris McLean, follow him up on Twitter, at MacWFNZ. Thanks, sir. All right, man. Take it easy, guys. There you go. Great stuff from him. A little too optimistic, maybe, about the Panthers in his mind, but I think they are going to be decent. I don't know. The whole the line of the whole interview was Diva Cofield. Oh, I mean, that's that goes without saying. But it was Everybody rock solid. That. It's like a confirmation. You know, it's just it's just added confirmation from out of town. It just you know adds to it. For Be- sure, beautiful thing. Uh, we'll continue down here from the summer league, back to the Raiders and what is going on with them. What we saw yesterday, and of course, coming up in just a little bit. The UNLV AD search starts right now. Back here, Cofield and Company on the concourse at the Vegas Summer League here at Thompson Mac and Cox Pavilion. 
Going to get into the UNLV AD situation. Sam Gordon from the Review Journal coming up in just a few minutes. Lots of Raiders as well, and we'll jump back into that as we're uh, here on the concourse. I, I keep seeing so many so many players, but also I'm intrigued by the fact that we've now seen Dana Altman, Dana Altman from Oregon walk by like seven times. Maybe he Is, wants to be on. No, I think he's just trying to get his steps in, maybe. Could be. Like he's walking the concourse. Yeah. Is he recruiting? Is there, are there players here that he's trying to look at? I don't know what's going on. Uh, but, yeah, definitely a place to, be, to see – uh, some of the celebrities of the NBA and, and beyond. To be seen. Every once in a while, we'll see an actor or a, you know, a, uh, an athlete from another sport or a rapper out here. So uh, if you like just people watching, uh, even beyond the great games you see out on the floor, uh, this is probably the spot to do it out here at the Summer League. Uh, you said you could see the scoreboard in there. What is it, halftime in this uh, Charlotte game? There's now... Uh Five, now there's people standing in the way. left in the third, and it appears it is 42 to 42. Oh, wow. Hornets and Kings. So all the, all the mean tweets from, uh, from our friend Chris McClain have inspired the Hornets to, uh, to step up here. Somebody was listening to us. For sure. Well, I just, I, I mean, we're going to talk about football. I just saw a very important football tweet that... The assumption is that Messi was going to sign with PSG, Paris Saint-Germain, uh-huh. for a massive deal. And it looks like Manchester United is trying to steal him away before he signs, which is going to be awesome. If you think free agency is crazy in American sports, check a, out soccer. a player like this does not come around very often. And uh, the transfer windows are crazy when there's a free agent. It is, it is nuts. And uh, we'll see how ugly this gets. Uh, over in Europe, so make sure you uh, follow along. Will that be a bigger splash? That new when it's done, wherever he ends up, will that be bigger than Flurry to Chicago? Yeah, oh, come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> of course it will. It's a it's a massive, massive story internationally. Uh, but football in America is a very different sport. I don't even know why it's called football. That was brought up yesterday by some people that I was watching. Uh, it made me laugh because it is a good point. It's one of the worst-named games there is. But American football is back. We saw a preseason game last week. We saw right, we were seeing a Raiders preseason game uh, coming up this week. I feel like, and you've been out there, so I want to get your thoughts on this as well. But just watching practice, I think it's a good sign. Not, It's not a be-all, end-all, of course, because there's really – it's not live action, except there was a little bit the other day that we're not really allowed to talk about. Um, but it's not like live action fully. But I feel like the defense has won a couple of the practices, which I think should be probably encouraging for some people. Well, especially when they, since they put the pads on. I mean, in the, that one day that they allowed us to continue to film or take pictures or whatever during the drills, the, the secondary looked fantastic. And I think it's somewhat been the infusion of you know, the the added players that have been brought in during the offseason. It's generated competition. Um, you know, Bradley taking over the defense. He's rejuvenated. We've heard the word energy used over and over in press conferences. And I agree that the defense has definitely won the battles in terms of when, especially when they're doing seven-on-seven drills. It's, it's, it's looked fantastic. That said, they're going against the same players every single day the rotation of players 
We're really not going to know anything until possibly Saturday. I mean, that's the first preseason game. I don't know what to expect. I asked Gruden that yesterday, as you remember. Just, you know, what does this preseason look like? Um, you know, usually weeks one and two are ho-hum, and then week three is the dress rehearsal. When when do we get a dress rehearsal if we even get one this year? There's 17 games. He said he's hoping to just come out with a 53-man you know, a healthy 53-man roster, but also that's physical, hungry, and ready to play. So um, I just don't think that we really see anything and can gauge anything until September 13th, Monday Night Football, when they host the Baltimore Ravens. I don't think that we get a true glimpse of the Las Vegas Raiders Saturday, the following week, in their three preseason games. We're not going to know the true identity of where this team has evolved to until the opener, whereas there are some teams where you, you, you get a decent idea in, in the normal week three of the preseason. Yeah, and it, obviously it's tough because you're not really going to be scheming. Uh, like your offense is not going to plan for the defense of Seattle. You're just going to kind of go out and do your own thing. Um, and same thing defensively for the offense. You're just going to run your base. You're not going to game plan specific things. So it's tough. To, it's going to be tough to judge. So I would say results don't matter, those sorts of things. But there are things that you're looking for. So I, I think – Certainly the young secondary, how uh, they're able to generate pressure up front, uh, and then definitely want to find out how Marcus Mariota looks because he has looked pretty good uh, through much of training camp here, and I want to see how he looks out on the field when they they take the field on Saturday. And the pass rush, that was a big deal too. You know, they they, they didn't generate a lot. Didn't get a lot of sacks. You know, they're, they're, um, the percentage in terms of, of threatening, uh, you know, putting the pressure on the quarterback, quarterback hurries, it was very limited. And uh, they've, you know, they've strengthened that. So there's be some telling points. Um, my question is this, are you going to L.A. next week? I'm not. Wow. I'm disappointed because you're one of the tweets and stories that I was looking forward to seeing. Um, you know, you reported in, in the Review Journal in your story about, the first little skirmish at practice. Of course, we saw Aaron Donald yeah. in a in a intra inter squad uh, practice getting a little bit of a skirmish. So I, I'm I'm a little excited and interested to see what takes place with the uh, when the Raiders and the Rams get together. Yeah, for sure. And uh, the Rams are uh, mixing it up with everybody. They're they're doing a lot of joint practices, and that's actually where you're going to see a lot more uh, of what is going on. You know, you're going to have you know head to head, a lot of live drills. And uh, I, I do want to point out, because I just mentioned it a second ago, um, there was a situation the other day. That there was a very exciting drill that they did in practice that nobody kind of expected. Um, I'm, I think you were there. I'm trying to remember. It was right at the end of practice. It got the media folks, got the, the fans, it got everybody, like, even the coaches just real fired up. And we were, a couple of us tweeted about it and said, hey, we can't give any specifics. We can't talk about it. But, you know, it was very fun and it was it was kind of a, you know, a really competitive situation at practice that uh, got got people very into it. And then other people were like, you can't talk about it. What you didn't, you weren't paying attention or like what? Like, no, there's we are not we watch practice every day, but we're not allowed to talk about um, things like formation. Yeah. Uh, trick plays. You can't talk about guys kind of lining up in a different you know, if a defensive player were to line up on offense, right? Can't really mention that. Like, there's things that it's part of kind of the agreement of you're allowed to watch practice, but you can't report on certain things that happen. Usually, we can't report on injuries until after practice. 
uh, that was different yesterday with uh, Trayvon Mullen at Allegiant Stadium because there was fans there, so everybody got to see it. So that kind of restriction was off. But just so you know, if you see if you see reporters tweeting, "Well, I can't talk about this," that's why. Like it, it's part of the agreement of being able to watch practice that you don't report on things like that. But right. but know that there are some some interesting things developing uh, when you're watching it out there at practice. That uh, I think people will uh, will be very into, especially if we see it happen in the preseason here coming up on Saturday. Watch for watch for some different formations. I, I would say that would be that'd be something to, to watch for up on Saturday night. Uh, also watch for a food item that I just don't know if I can do it. We'll get into it. Maybe Willie will try it next. Who better to talk about food than these two? It's the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. Brought to you by Nova Home Loans. Back here on this Monday from the concourse at the Thomas Mack NBA Vegas Summer League. Uh, Just walked into the restroom during the break. Got the saw the giant poster of Ryan Reeves reminding us not to use water. Okay, so it's funny is the previous couple of breaks before I think after uh, our buddy Ben S. Goats was on, I went in there, and I was gonna at some point just say, so it was in the laboratory, <laughs> but I did see that poster as well. So uh, you know what's interesting is after Nate Schmidt left, they continued to run the ads and they removed the logos, and I think that they may have been removed even before that. But it'll be interesting as the official. 2021-22 campaign begins if they continue to use it but have to just remove NHL and the Golden Knights logos and then be able to continue to use it. Well, I, I would hope that they do something like, hi, I'm NHL player Alex Petrangelo. <laughs> Still my favorite commercial. Oh, yes. NH- I'm NHL player Alex Petrangelo. Okay, you that was, first of all, horrible acting, as we've pointed out before, but also just generic NHL player guy is fun. Uh, up, up on the commercials. Maybe they do something like that. Uh, we'll see. I, I like to think they just keep Ryan Reeves. He's going to come back to Las Vegas. He already said that. Yeah. To live after he's done. He'll probably have a job with the organization. Just just keep him as the spokesman for the water campaign. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. Just remove the, the logos and keep him as the spokesperson. He'll be back. He's got the brewing company, you know, and he'll definitely, he's got the, you know, the, um, he invested in the, in the, uh, in the black community, in the, I believe in the Boys and Girls Club over there, and did the uh, with the ball hockey. So I mean, he's got some. He's definitely got some vested interests. This is the community of the teams that he's played at, played for, that has that sort of embraced him as as a member of the community, not just a member of of the team that he you know that that from that city. So I think he's looking forward to. It. I think he knows he has home to come you know to come to once uh, his career is is over so we did uh w- this is fat pack by the way so we're supposed to get into those stories we're just running shout randomly to, talking ryan reeves not fat shout out to mags with the with the fat boys well let's give him credit i don't know that he, <laughs> he made it. i'm gonna i'll give him credit though why not well he, he who, who played we played every day well he played oh, it's our, it's our no, 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 for the segment. no 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 usually ari plays uh yeah, frank ari- sinatra Ari gets all the credit. He just told me what what uh, Ari plays. Ari plays Frank Sinatra usually to come, or maybe it's just when I'm on. But I know it's, it's usually some some Frank Sinatra. But anyway, I'm going to say that was, was strong. I'm going to say Ari's never done anything good in his life, and Mags is making the show sound great today. So <laughs> let's give let's give him the credit for it. Uh, also, it, but it is fat pack time. Uh, I think you're going to like this. All right. Lane, first of all, well, the thing you're not going to like, I don't think, is is going to come up in a second, but. Lane Kiffin 
said that he noticed that he was always talking to his players about accountability and yelling at them like you're not in shape you're not doing this you're get you know you're doing this wrong and he was he was really getting after them and then he said last year he looked at an interview he did at the bowl game and was like good lord i am fat i am out of control so how can i talk to the players about accountability uh if i'm not doing it myself so he came back lost 30 pounds this offseason and uh and now he said listen I, I feel like i can be a little bit more practice what i preach and i can have more i can com- be coming from a strength of power or a position of power when i'm telling these guys they have to be in shape it makes sense i mean it's one thing to preach you know health and, and fitness and, and obviously accountability for yourself when you are an actual athlete and if you're a coach and you're not doing your part on you know and but if you are overly and it sounds like he was in terms of getting up to 245 pounds and somewhat got lazy with his health then yeah absolutely because you you can't preach one thing and, and do the complete opposite <laughs> you know i can't imagine that they're that you know, I can't imagine that Mike Leach is is, is out there preaching uh, fitness and, and cutting, you know, weight and getting in shape. And then, but he's already, you know, he's he is what he is. But Kiffin completely went the opposite direction in terms of what he looked like. It sounds like he went got up to two hundred forty five pounds. He's now down to two hundred and ten, according to reports. So. I mean, good on him for, for recognizing the fact that he's, he's telling his players to do one thing and he's doing the complete opposite, and maybe it'll motivate somebody that, uh, that isn't doing their part to say, well, wait a minute, if Coach is outdoing me, then. Sure, and he may have gotten that big by eating some Guy Fieri food. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I saw this. So Guy Fieri, Las Vegas' is own UNLV? Yeah. UNLV alum here, here on campus. Potential AD candidate? We're going to add him to the mix, yeah. Add Why not? Why not? He's, he's our first candidate. <laughs> guy will, guy, guy is going to come in and at least make the concession stands even better. Uh, we know that. But I don't know about this latest item he has. The Field of Dreams game is coming up uh, in Iowa. Uh, obviously a very cool event that Major League Baseball is doing. And they have a special concession menu. And Guy was able to design a hot dog yes. for the menu at the Field of Dreams game. I would – I'll try most things. There is no chance on earth I am trying this. He tried to get very, very American, right? Nothing's as American as baseball. Heartland. It's going to be time to take the field and celebrate America. Mm. And what two things are more American in the world than hot dogs and apple pie? And baseball. Yeah, for sure. Now, let me ask so, you – okay, go ahead. So I would say what you go – Order a hot dog and then have an apple pie? That could work, right? Sure. Celebrating America. Why not? What if you combine nice them? Little, little combo. What if you combine them, though? Yes. What if you take a pie crust, add some bacon jam, some apple filling, and a hot dog, and then sprinkle some sugar on it? That is Guy Fieri's newest creation for the Field of Dreams game. I'm out. There is no chance on earth I would eat that. Well, we already know. I, by the way, we we were on together Friday, and I didn't express my how proud I am of you for uh, the, oh, the, the dinner not- the dinner that we had last week. And you, I mean, you don't go to an Italian restaurant and and refrain from pasta and bread. But Adam did a good job. So there's no way he is engaging <laughs> in in this concoction, the apple pie hot dog. But now, 
pie crust and hot dog? No. I've had bacon jam. Bacon jam's delicious. Absolutely. Um, apple filling and a hot dog? Absolutely not. So, realistically, you have to pull this apart and maybe put the apple filling with the pie crust. Well, maybe no, have some bacon jam. A, that's a pie. Exactly. Well, no, I'm going back to what you said. <laughs> the bacon jam with the hot dog. So, that's the only way that this can happen is the hot dog followed by the apple pie. But all combined? Oh, guy. I just don't even – I think, do you make a pie crust into the shape of a hot dog bun? I, f- I mean, I guess that's what you're doing. It, it just doesn't make sense. Are you, are, you, are you taking all the ingredients, the bacon jam, the apple filling, the hot dog, rolling it in the pie crust, and then baking it? So now you have this whole baked concoction. Yeah, I would imagine that's what you're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm actually watching him make it right now. I mean, it, it's kind of flat, like the – the crust is like a flat crust. Yeah, yeah. You're you're more of a chef certainly than I am. Let me uh, but yeah, he's got the flat pie crust, and then he sprinkles the jam on it, and then puts the filling on top of it, and then the hot dog. And so, eventually, it is it is like a flat, almost like a uh, like a flatbread pizza. He adds another one to seal it. Right on and top. Then he, and then he's crimping it. So it is a closed item. Well, yeah, well, it's closed on the sides and then the ends, and then you throw it in the oven 18 to 20 minutes and bake it. Wait a minute, but at the end, he adds apple mustard and then crumbled bacon. Guy it's, like just, a, it's like a pot pie almost. Yeah, it is. Yes, yes. So after actually seeing him make it, are you back in? No. No. Absolutely not. Those, that, that, that combination is not happening. It's horrific. First of all, I don't eat hot dogs. I can't do it. At just, all? I, no. No. Just, have you ever had one? Yo, yeah, okay. yo, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, okay. I just, just, I'd rather just, I'd rather have a hot link or an Italian sausage. Give me a sausage and peppers. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but uh, hot dogs, absolutely not. Yeah, I'm out. I'm not trying this. Uh, we can go check. Let's go check out the concession stand. We have, we have a quick timeout. We'll come back. Get into the UNLV AD situation. Sam Gordon from the Review Journal is all over this story. He'll join us in a minute, and we'll go check out the concession stand right now. It is Cofield and Company on this Monday, live from NBA Summer League at the Thompson Mac, out here on the concourse. And yes, it's the Summer League, but it's also on campus of UNLV. There happened to be some UNLV news uh, over the last 24 hours. We're going to get into that. Sam Gordon sits down with us. But Sam, more importantly than what's going on with UNLV, yep. we were just discussing uh, the latest Guy Fieri creation, which is the hot dog they're going to serve at the Field of Dreams game. It's a pie crust mm. baked around a hot dog with apple filling and bacon jam. It's, it's an, an apple pie hot dog. Interesting combination. Would you eat it? How much are you paying me? <laughs> you get to try it. It's topped with it's apple a, mustard pleasure. and sugar. I'd give it a shot. Would I don't. I know really? I can't commit to finishing the whole thing, but I think I'd give it a shot. I. For the right price, I finished the whole thing. We were both out on it. First of all, people are going to be paying for this thing. They're not going to get paid. This is a concession. I'm not paying for it. I'm not paying okay. for it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Would you need it? Would you need it for a post workout, like after a leg day or a chest day? Leg day, if I had to pick. It would have to be <laughs> yeah, right. Have yeah, to be. yeah, have to be. Exactly. All right. So now that the important stuff's out of the way, uh, UNLV athletic director Desiree Reed Francois moves on. Yeah. To Missouri. I guess, first of all, like we've heard her name mentioned as a candidate, as a finalist, for like every job that's been open the last three years. How surprised were you that this is the one she actually got? Uh, not too surprised. I mean, I think it was only a matter of time, right? I mean, just based on 
her resume, her track record, moving through the ranks, uh, having the experience that she had in the ACC, the SEC, Pac-12 throughout the course of her career, it felt like it was it was only a matter of time. It was a natural progression. Now, I think the timing of things is what's a little surprising, right? We're, I mean, and that that's as much on Mizzou's side as it is with her because we're, what, three weeks, four weeks away from the start of college football season? You don't normally – I don't feel like you normally see AD changes at this time of the year, but things being what they are, um, it, it, obviously she felt like it was the right fit, the right move for her, and uh, and it's, it makes sense. It makes sense, right? From her perspective, you go from the Mountain West to the SEC to the most prestigious conference where you have big-time facilities, you play the who's who of college football, you're in a big-time college basketball league, and uh, based on you know just knowing her um, her ambition and, and the goal she had, it, it makes total sense. So, yeah, it's it's the timing of it is a little surprising, but the fact that it happened, I wouldn't say it's surprising. So what to you, what is her legacy at UNLV? I mean – we talk about the football facility that was yeah. built, state of the art, no question about it. But how much did she have to do with it? <laughs> uh, they are now playing games in Allegiant Stadium. How much did she have to do with it? Uh, <laughs> she hired a basketball coach who moved on to the Big Twelve. Yeah, but it's not like he had a ton of success before he moved on. It's a weird legacy. Also, I should point out, I think she hit a uh, grand slam with her women's basketball hire. Yep, and a couple other smaller, smaller sports. So. How, how does she leave the athletics department, and what is her legacy? I think we'll know what her legacy is in two or three years when we have a, a bigger sample size of what Marcus Royo and that football team does and when we know what Kevin, how Kevin Kruger does as a head coach. So I think it's incomplete right now. Now, to your point, um, Lindy LaRock, already that's a home run. She was, she was amazing last year. Uh, the Lady Rebels were fantastic and expect them to be even better this year with some of the transfers they have. Uh, the non-revenue sports did really well. Um, academically, I know – student athletes uh, as a department made a lot of progress and like you said whether or not you know depending regardless of how much she had to do with the football facility or legion stadium they did happen during her tenure so um gotta give her that right i, I mean <laughs> for, for whatever it's worth like they happened with her at the helm uh so but but big picture i think ultimately the measure is going to be how well does kevin kruger do how well does marcus royer do and i think those are crystallized in the next in the next couple of years so right now i give her an incomplete but um definitely made some progress in in things that weren't the revenue sports and that that matters right like we that feels like the public from the most part only cares about the big sports but she was managing an entire student body entire athletic department and i think big picture the fact that some of the non-revenue sports had the success they did the academic progress like that that matters in the scope of college athletics and she was awesome there no question about it the and you know as far as the fundraising is concerned i don't think to be honest with you that she had much to do with the complex i mean that's sure. that's that's tony sanchez yeah, yeah. there's no doubt about it um if kevin krueger who has never coached a, a game you know a, a d1 game um doesn't have a successful few years we know what happens with college basketball in this town after you know a few years um or if he's recruited somewhere um and marcus arroyo can't turn the football program around we know the history there is does Missouri look back and go, did we make a mistake? Because obviously her job here was a failure, and now she's picked up by an SEC program. Um, you know, do they look back on it? They obviously have to look at this as a huge gamble. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. I think I think there's definitely some merit to that, given that, I mean, you even read the press release that Missouri put out yesterday. doesn't mention football or men's basketball because <laughs> there's not much to talk about. It did mention the fundraising efforts, the the, the, the academic stuff, um, the non-revenue sports, the successes there. But, yeah, I, I think depending on how she translates to the SEC and what she does there and how those programs do there, uh, I think that's going to be 
you know, more so what, what Missouri looks at. But, no, you're right, uh, given that she – the, we don't know if the hires have turned out here, and, and there's a chance that they don't. Like, we don't know yet. And there's a chance that the men's basketball team continues to struggle. There's a chance that the football program continues to struggle. And we're not going to know for a couple of years. So I think it's one of these things where right now it's incomplete, and we'll see what she does in Mizzou. But it, it's a fair point for sure. And the immediate turn now is is who do they bring in? Of course, Twitter went wild. Let's bring in Long <laughs> Cougar. Um, it, a simple Google search. On the UNLV website, there's, there, there's a, there is a nepotism policy. Right. So not sure that they can go that route. Um, you know, you're, you're dialed in now. You, you, you've been covering. You've been in town. Um, just in the 24 hours, sources that you've attained, you know, over the c- couple of years, are you hearing anything or who do you think or who do you see? And uh, what's the word that possibly could, you know, who, who is the right? And that being said, what sort of AD do they now have to bring in? Yeah, yeah, great question. Uh, to, to your, uh, about, first off, about Lon Kruger, um, I, I had the chance to speak with him yesterday, and he said, it's not going to be me. Like, flat out, wants the Rebels to do well, wants to support Kevin and, and the basketball program and, and the university as a whole, not as an athletic director. He retired so he could have more free time, and taking a big, all-encompassing job like that isn't giving you a lot of free time, right? <laughs> um, but with that in mind, no, you asked what kind of, what kind of um, athletic director does UNLV need to go after. I think just talking to people um, who have a vested interest in the school, who, who are familiar with the athletic department, uh, I think – the, the route you want to go, especially with the ever-changing landscape of college athletics, is somebody with relationships and ties around the country that can help UNLV transition into a Power 5 conference, whether that's the Pac-12, whatever that looks like, because that's where things are going. Like We see Oklahoma and Texas starting that seismic shift, and we're, who knows what direction it's going to take, but it, it's about getting that a bigger TV deal, getting a, be- uh, a better TV contract, more visibility, more exposure for the program in order to do that. Um, they're going to have to probably jump ship here, because I think if the Texas and Oklahoma thing is just kind of the start of the dominoes. We're going to see a lot of changes in college athletics. And UNLV has the, the campus, the, the facilities, the resources now to, to be a legitimate Power 5 program. Do they have the, the, the on-field, on-court, whatever, on-track resume? Not, not yet. But they at this point, with the resources, with the market, I think it's important for whoever the next athletic director is to, to, to try and take this program to the next level. And that means getting into a different league and getting more te- uh, television revenue. The UNLV does have, as you said, not the success, but they do have the traditional success. They have the fan base when they're yep, good, yep. and they have the market and the stadium and the facilities yep. and everything that people want. Uh, I almost think you should try to like lock down the city and say, hey, you want Allegiant Stadium? Let us in the league. Yep. You're, not, you're not using Allegiant Stadium. You're not using T-Mobile Arena for your championship events and for everything else if UNLV is not in the league. Uh, I don't know that that's possible, especially because here's a problem. The Pac-12 is now run by an MGM executive, <laughs> so I think that their connection there would be yeah. too strong. So it's going to be tough. But I, I think is it is it fair to say because I don't think it's it's being too like alarmist. I think it's true that if they're not able to get into a Power Five in the next four to five years, it's a second tier program in terms of not not just second tier. It's not going to be Division One anymore. There's going to be five schools and five conferences in Division One. Everybody else is going to be Division Two, and if you're not making that move then you're not relevant anymore. So this is like – this is could be a live-or-die moment I mean, for UNLV I athletics. I mean, the, lip, the ship is leaving. It's, it's starting – it's going to set <laughs> yeah. sail, right? Like, 
we, we're going to – I'm with you. I think we're going to see some seismic changes, and whoever the next athletic director is, whoever that may be, got to re-engage the community, make it feel like a community program again, and have the necessary relationships to get this program into a Power 5 league, right, the Pac-12 being the obvious fit because of regional and geographic um, – the geographic standing. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm with you completely. And it's been a, you know, meddling program in a lot of ways, uh, meddling athletic department in a lot of ways for quite some time. But like you said, there's the city, the market – the resources, you know, the facilities, all that makes sense for UNLV to, to, to transition into the Power Five, and it's on the next athletic director to figure out how to make that happen. I'll put this to both of you. Uh, Sam is, you know, dialed in and covering it. And-